The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programs and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at thisisdistorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted. <laughs> is the Industry Insider from the Association of Electronic Music. The AFEM Industry Insider. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? Welcome to the Industry Insider, the first in a brand new series of regular podcasts from the AFEM. If you don't know, the Association for Electronic Music is the global trade body representing the whole entire ecosystem of electronic music. So that's management and agents, music publishers, record labels, tech companies, distributors, conferences, production, radio festivals, lawyers, PR magazines, websites... (gasps) And loads more as well, from small startups to huge global companies and artists and individuals. We're all about the future and collaboration and about working together. So anyone can join, anyone can get involved. The aim of the whole thing is to sort of help the the common interests of the members and give our industry, um, I suppose, like one unified voice. So that might mean we need to lobby governments or organisations. It might mean we need to help raise money for good causes, work on environmental or diversity issues, mental health, networking, education, connecting people, or, or just helping out. But it's all about strength in numbers, looking to the future and and I suppose just being part of something that's bigger than than just ourselves or our businesses. I should quickly say my name's Andy Durant, I'm a radio presenter DJ, company director based in Leeds in the north of England, I'm also a former music producer and remixer and I'm currently serving on the executive board of the AFM as well with some amazing people from our world so I'm going to be your host for this, just try, trying to kind of stitch it all together and we've got lots of interesting people lined up to chat with On this month's episode Our main conversation is going to be how coronavirus is reshaping electronic music. Couldn't have really been anything else, could it? So we've got input from some brilliant people from Defected, Graphite, BBC Radio 1, Beatport and Little Empire. And we'll also be hearing from Nico Perez about Mixcloud and their new live DJ set streaming service thing they've got going on. So lots to get through. But first up, I'm going to hand over to Greg Marshall, General Manager of AFEM, just to give us a couple of minutes update on what AFEM has been working on the last few weeks and months um, in what has undoubtedly been the most turbulent time in electronic music for many, many years. I'm guessing with the corona pandemic and our industry being massively affected by this, it's been a busy time for you, Greg. Yeah, it's been an incredibly busy time. So for the association, we've been working hard on a wide range of actions to help connect and support our membership of companies. We've been running regular open member calls for insights and information sharing across sectors and territories, um, trying to find ways of working together as an industry to help sustainability of the chain of operators, particularly in the live sector. We've been hit the hardest by the COVID crisis. In the government lobbying piece, we've been involved in the Let the Music Play campaign, which is, this one's particularly UK focused, uh, to lobby the government for financial support for venues and festivals and the full chain of businesses in the live sector. Uh, we've been doing some fundraising um, in March. We created the, the FM Members COVID Hardship Fund in collaboration with Beatport and the unique fundraising opportunity that they offered to us via their first two Reconnect live stream events. Um, amazingly, Beatport managed to raise over $100,000 for the FM fund uh, in two separate uh, 33-hour live streams uh, in March and April. And it's just an amazing lineup of, of top-tier DJs and artists who donated sets for the event. We're hugely grateful. Um, as of this week, all the funds raised uh, from the FM Members Hardship Fund have now been paid out to help uh, low-earning 
individuals who've lost their jobs or are at risk of losing their jobs from uh, member companies in electronic music. And there's some other projects we're working on, uh, like with Masks for Music, uh, which could raise further funds for hardship funds second round. What else we've been doing? Uh, looking, looking very closely at how live streaming has become the main performance and audience engagement outlet. Um, it presents a, an opportunity for the industry to address licensing, monetization, and issues of inaccurate royalty payments uh, for creators, creators and the owners of the music played. I mean, the, the processes behind some of the biggest UGC platforms for video live streaming just don't result in revenues for the creators of the music that's actually played. So we've been digging into that, trying to understand the issues on different platforms and and present viable solutions. Broad range of working groups that have been been active uh, over the last few months. Our diversity and inclusion group have been taking time to define uh, a longer-term process of anti-racism actions and also uh, gender-balance-focused projects, uh, as well as developing a code of conduct against sexual harassment, which will be launched late summer. During the lockdown, there's been a sharp increase in music piracy. So we, we partnered with anti-piracy specialist Muso to provide advice and significant discounts for our members to help ensure revenue for electronic music creators is maximized um, during these difficult times where no gig income is possible. Yeah, if you'd like to get involved and you want to know more about AFEM, then please do drop us an email at membership at afemorg.net. Um, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. The Association for Electronic Music presents Industry Insider. Industry Insider. You are listening to the Industry Insider, the podcast from the Association for Electronic Music. And each month we're going to be sitting down with various different people from the world of electronic music, from new talent to industry legends and future stars, both behind the scenes and in the public eye as well. We'll be discussing the topics and the problems and the opportunities and stories from our scene and hopefully giving some, uh, I guess, useful and interesting insight with some carefully picked out panels of guests. Now, obviously, we couldn't do this face to face at the minute, so we're recording the conversation via Zoom, which we've all had a lot of practice with over the last few months i think everyone's very familiar but please excuse the the sound quality if it's not like a hundred percent but now of course there's loads of crazy things happening in the world at the moment so it's very tough to pick out the first um topic but probably the most important and the most stressing thing at the minute for everyone in our industry is how the hell we're gonna muddle through this awful mess so um, join us for our first panel discussion how coronavirus is reshaping electronic music is Jaguar Bingham DJ presenter and journalist from BBC Radio 1 and Mixmag Kelly Money vice president of uh, Little Empire Music in the fall head of partnerships and innovation at Graphite Jonas Temple co-founder and chief revenue officer of Beatport and James Kirkham Chief Business Officer at Defected. So thank you very, very much for taking part, guys. Just very quickly, um, in a couple of sentences, do you want to introduce yourselves and just tell us kind of what your day job is, like what you do day to day? Oh, I'll kick it off. Hi, guys. I'm Inda. I run the uh, partnerships and innovation uh, company, I guess, aspect at Graphite. So we've got a few different arms of Graphite with artist management and events, but I look after all of the brand partnerships and marketing side of things. So really working with uh, big corporations and finding interesting ways to connect them to the music industry. And then I also lead a similar team at Orca Sound Project, which is a sustainability company. And we've worked with companies like Glastonbury, Adidas, Absolute, delivering kind of sustainable solutions for, um, for the brands. Hey, I'm Jaguar. I'm a DJ, broadcaster and journalist at 
BBC Radio 1 and Mixmag. Um, I host a new dance show called BBC Introducing Dance. Um, basically, my job is to discover brand new electronic music and play it to the world um, on radio and through my DJ sets. And yeah, it's been a really cool journey so far. Uh, I'm James, Chief Business Officer at Defected Records. Uh, I work alongside Wes Saunders and Simon Dunmore in the leadership team, probably doing everything outside of getting the music in. So everything that constitutes promotion, marketing, social content, storytelling. We've got documentaries coming out, films we're making, and all of the good stuff around technology and platforms too. So recently with things like our virtual events and virtual festivals, all the way through to, yeah, a new documentary and a series we've got coming out. So everything other than listening and getting in the great music. Hey, I'm Kelly. Um, I'm Vice President of Little Empire Music. Um, we are a full-service artist management company. We have offices in um, LA and Ibiza, and I'm based in Ibiza. Uh, this is Jonas Temple. Um, I am Chief Revenue Officer and originally co-founder of Beatport. I spent 11 years as CEO of Beatport. I stepped out for a few years and joined Beats by Dre and helped build what became Beats Music and ultimately Apple Music. Um, and then returned to Beatport about 18 months ago. But now in the Chief Revenue Officer role, I'm um, focused on all customer facing initiatives, including all the product, brand, and messaging and voice of the company. Awesome. So I guess the uh, the big question really to sort of kick us off, and it, it is a big one, will our industry ever return to normal are the clubs and the festivals ever going to go back to how they were if not what is the new normal going to look like it's i know it's kind of a big one but kelly do you want to kind of get us started i presume you've had lots of conversations about this over the last few weeks and months i think we have to be optimistic that things will get back to normal i think the question is when um how long it's going to take and how we get there and how we sort of sustain our business until we do get back to that point I just think it's going to be a slow journey and I think I think whilst we have to be optimistic that we're going to get back to you know all dancing together in clubs I think I think we need to be realistic and and all sort of prepare for the fact that it's going to take a little while um and I think it's 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 just a very very difficult situation to manage because I think we're all here sort of working internationally as well and, and we're seeing various territories progressing faster than others as well. And, you know, we're at the mercy of the governments and how well the situation is being managed generally within that country. Um, and then within that, how the sort of industry itself is kind of progressing and, and managing to work with restrictions um, it's a tough moral subject, I think, as well, for a lot of artists. Um, obviously, we are being asked to play shows in various markets, and there's also quite a backlash against some events that are starting to happen because, you know, it might be considered too soon in certain markets. And, you know, we're receiving offers, and a lot of our artists are not sure whether they should take them. They don't want to, you know, appear to be irresponsible. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors working against us um, in terms of trying to sort of get back to sort of putting on events again, basically. And obviously, in the meantime, we're all just focusing on virtual streaming events of various kinds. So 
um, yeah, I think the new normal for now is is there's going to be various stages of it. And I think, you know, streaming, I think, will be something that will continue even when we get back to normal because I think now we're all sort of living in this world and, and used to doing it and actually probably realising that there is a much bigger opportunity with streaming than perhaps we thought before. And I think also the audience are used to streaming now. So I think we're going to see streaming like stick around um, even when events start to happen. And then I think in the meantime, obviously events are going to start on a smaller scale, smaller capacities. You know, I think we'll see promoters dropping ticket prices to try to fill venues, even with the smaller capacities. Um, they'll be using sponsorship more to try and pay for events where, you know, with, where there's reduced ticket prices, reduced capacities. And I think what is great is that we're seeing everyone from the industry work together to try and help each other. You know, artists and promoters and events organisers do seem to be, there's a real empathy for everyone. We're all in this together. And I think we're all moving forward together and trying to find solutions. So I think that's been a, a real overriding theme throughout all of this. So yeah, I think, I think we will get back to normal. I think it's going to be slow. I think it's going to be a gradual um, phase by phase um, new normal as we move forward. It was nice to hear a bit of positive anyway. I mean, you kind of, you kind of made me smile a little bit. I mean, I know for, it's the same for a lot of industries, but everyone's careers and businesses in our world have been, have been affected hugely by it, um, probably more so than most. In fact, I, mean, I don't think it can be really overstated how bad this has been for a lot of people. Um, I mean, there's a lot of big successful artists who are literally running out of money, which means their managers aren't getting paid, their teams and their staff aren't getting paid, the clubs and the venues and the festivals aren't making any money. So it's the trickle down, isn't it? The security, the drinks, the people who look after the social media, the artwork, the PR, it's absolutely huge. And obviously we don't want to be kind of naming people or singling anyone out, but I guess we've all got personal stories of like well-known people really on the edge right now, yeah? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's probably this universal across the whole industry in many ways. I mean, obviously we work with high-profile artists as well as emerging artists and club owners. One thing which I think is when we talk about normal and what's going to happen when we go back to kind of clubbing and, and the world, I guess we're talking about the events industry specifically, um, there is definitely this challenge that a lot of, um, of promoters and club owners, for example, that are more at the like lower level in a sense, the community projects that are probably not going to be around. I, we, I know of a lot of stories of people that maybe are, uh, maybe borrowed too much money, for example, with the hope and ambition that some of the events they have coming up are going to allow them to grow their business and scale, you know, I, I guess a small club, um, proposition and essentially these last few months have pretty much wiped them out and I do think for, you know across across the globe there are a lot of them when we do go back to clubbing there'll be a lot of brands that you maybe used to know that probably don't exist anymore and many that have also come out as a result of this because they've built new communities online and um, so I, yeah when we talk about normal I do think that we're going to see a, a new group of um, events also coming out of it at the same time. Trying to focus on the positives a little bit James um what opportunities have you guys seen arise from this sort of crisis and have you been kind of capitalising on them? Because I know the virtual festivals were a huge success and a big part of what you guys were doing at Defected. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, 
as with any of this, it definitely wasn't planned. The virtual festival that uh, we did, which feels like an awfully long time ago now, several months back at the start of this craziness, was born from a WhatsApp conversation with a few of us on a Sunday night. And by the Monday, we'd stuck a post out saying we were going to uh, hold this uh, event. This was pre-lockdown when you could still physically get together, but you know, social distancing was in place. Um, and people were um, uh, super kind and excited and artists and DJs all leaned in, as did the Ministry of Sound, who of course had, had been dealing with their own sort of situation, who offered up a venue. So the first kind of event was born um, unbelievably swiftly. All of the DJs and talents said they've never been more nervous than playing in that completely empty, cavernous room, which is kind of weird but brilliant because it's like, Joey Negro or Simon Dunmore or Shapeshifters or Monkey, they were all equally nervous, which I kind of love, because they knew how many people actually were sort of potentially watching. Um, it clearly captivated a moment. We only went to do one, um, but everyone piled in on socials and said, you have to be here now for lockdown. You have to do this every week. Um, and, you know, the foolish bunch that we are, we said, well, we kind of have to do that now. Uh, and so we did kind of nine... In total, we couldn't do it in a venue anymore. We did it with kind of DJs in bedrooms and um, and it was terrific. It got like, I think nearly 19 million views in that time. It ended up being broadcast across a whole bunch of different platforms. Uh, it, average watch time was like 33 minutes. So the point is it capitalized or rather captivated an imagination. It did capitalize in a moment of people quite literally needing the release. So we were... We were never able to replace what we should be doing right now. We should have an Ibiza season in full swing. We should be in high or pre-parties in Mambos, or we should be planning Croatia, which would be next month. But all of the above is gone. Um, and we just wanted to bring people together and give people a chance of a release, um, a chance. And it ended up being a cathartic thing. A lot of the kind of the consumer-driven, the the sort of the fan-driven stuff was was all about that. It was people saying kind of thank you. It was there. It punctuated their weeks where weeks would meander one in the day into the next, and it meant that Friday was here. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that came out of it. And also from a positive perspective, there's a whole probably 40-something brigade who simply wouldn't go to a wicked club in East London anymore. Or they're in Brazil or, you know, some far-flung corner of the globe but they're a massive househead. So we suddenly kind of realised you could connect perhaps easier than we sort of were more regularly doing, actually, at an event like that. And again, a lot of that was people going, this is great, you can bring us together, we want to do more of this. We sort of, we finished kind of on a high and we had the likes of Carl Cox on our final virtual festival. We took a few weeks off. We've since done another ver variation where we're experimenting. We're using Twitch as a core platform. We've kind of re-engineered their to gaming platform, as most people know, kind of broadly. And we've taken what is called a squad stream, which is like windows where people normally battle one another. And we've changed it and stuck DJs in those windows so you can effectively choose them like choosing a club. Again, though, we're kind of trying. We're playing. We're seeing how far we can take it. And it's a, it's a lovely, lovely privilege that we can afford, I guess, to do that, still with the same philosophy of bringing people together. And I know for a fact we won't end there. We're going to keep trying. We don't think we're going to be here forever doing this exactly. And I love to think that, if anything, we're just getting the learning so that in 2021, maybe there are hybrid opportunities. Maybe 
I don't know, those, uh, even a kid as far as, uh, or rather as near as Scotland can't make it down to the London event, but maybe there's a virtual element or a virtual component or a part of a ticket even that can be gifted to them from friends and that they can watch online. Who knows? That's the bit that I think we're trying to sort of establish and realise it's worth because it isn't the same. It's not the goosebumps you get on a dance floor. You know, when I, when I go and meet potential partners, there's the Honey Dijon quote that I always repeat, which is dance floors unite people in a way that governments and religions can't. And I love that. And full stop, that's kind of the point of these events. We can't quite replace that, but we try to get as near as we can. So there are seeds of positivity in the feelings and the reaction from the people who are a part of it. Amazing. And Jonas, I mean, Beatport did some amazing work with the Reconnect series early on as well. Tell us a little bit about that and the, the sort of opportunities that came with that, because that did some real good as well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so just to build on what James was saying, I mean, we, we actually very intentionally chose the name Reconnect out of this, you know, abundance of experience that what all of us crave is that tribal culture, you know, this ritual of going uh, to our venues, uh, either as DJs or as fans of the music to experience this, uh, you know, this very sacred experience that, uh, that we grow up on. And if you're, if you're on the DJ side of this, you miss that ritual of preparing your sets to getting the response curve from the audience. Um, and, you know, I can tell you I'm later on in my career. Um, so I don't gig nearly as much, but I, that, the, you know, I crave as a performer, I crave that feedback loop. And, and so we felt that people had to be feeling the way we felt and that's why we decided to do it. Um, and on top of that, we wanted to layer this, um, uh, kind of a su support mechanism on top of it in the early days. So I think we were one of the first ones to do a kind of a fundraising and we successfully raised, I don't know what the exact number is, but over our streams, you know, uh, well over $300,000. It's nothing that's going to change the world, but it means something, you know, to the, even when it was $2 at a time from these people that were joining in, it's just such a cool experience and um, really proud of it. And the brand stepped in, you know, big brands like Pioneer were giving great um, support to us. Um, and that, you know, as a, as a community, we all depend on each other. As you were saying, you know, if the clubs aren't open, they're not buying new gear. <laughs> from pioneer you know they're not you know it's this is all one big ecosystem and it's connected and so it's we all have to like put our heads down and get through this the, the beautiful thing is the creators are still creating great music the releases are amazing right now uh and because they were all prepped for the summer season that didn't happen <laughs> so they're all here you know we're all kind of feeding off each other i think and I think that's very positive. And we want to help the artists. Like more than anything, we want to help the artists. We're, we're trying to bring in brand sponsors to get artists paying gigs. That's the, you know, that's the holy grail if we can get some DJs back to work. Uh, we still run into some management teams that are a little delusional about bookings um, right now, uh, what they're worth. Um, and so that's a little disheartening, but I'm hoping that straightens itself out. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm overall super positive. I know it sucks. Uh, and I feel bad. I'm a, I'm a partner in a nightclub and uh, it, it's terrible. I mean, the club is closed. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I went through 9-11. I went through 2008 economic reset. This is nothing like either of those. We've had a real 
um, global reset on this stuff, but I believe that people are going to dance. You know, I just really believe it. I don't think that culture is ever going away. And I, and I, and I love what you said, James, um, you know, those, those kind of quotes inspire me. But I, but I love something you've just mentioned, which, you know, perhaps I just should have said is just from in music, especially the idea of creative creativity coming from adversity, full stop. And that kind of positive competition that already exists. You know, I, I wish I'd done that Dua Lipa zoom based choreographed dance piece that Warner's did. I wish I did Travis Scott in Fortnite. That's yeah. wicked. That's really good that people like me and all of these guys are going, Hmm. I want to do that or I want to do better. Or I want to innovate. That's going to breed creativity. I'm interested as well, just for both of, um, obviously Beatport and Defector's core business, I guess you call it, of, of selling and streaming music. Have you guys seen like an, in, an increase in people buying and streaming or, if, you know, because people have had more time at home at the computers or has the lack of gigs and, and events meant that DJs have not actually been buying that much? We saw as uh, record months, actually. But, we, you know, we also put it down to the need for positivity and generally uplifting house music, dance music, felt appropriate for the time. Yeah, we, we, we've seen positive momentum and record number of downloads and streams off our platform. And we're, go, we're taking it a step further. By the time this thing, your podcast airs, we'll have already launched this, so <laughs> it's fine. But next week, we're launching uh, full track playback on the website. And so uh, for all link subscribers, um, that means our browser is now a monetization layer for our content. And for us, that's a big deal because we want to provide as many possible revenue streams as we can for artists to be making money. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not patting ourselves on the back. This is long overdue anyway. Uh, but I think it's coming at the right time. Uh, and so it'll allow... Uh, you know, it's not a lean back experience. We're not trying to be Spotify. We're not competing in that lane. But if I'm a DJ and I'm prepping for my live stream or any other event that I'm prepping for, I can now build playlists and kind of audition them in the background while I'm doing other things. Um, and that's a big deal, we think, for our customer base. Uh, on top of that, our link um, subscriptions, which is embedded technology in uh, all the major platforms or all the major software, uh, DJ software apps, um, we've a record number of subscriptions. We, we've kind of touched on it a bit, but as proven by Defectors Virtual Festival, the Beatport Reconnect series, that the recent shift by artists and fans to DJ live streaming has been absolutely massive, like we said. I'm interested to talk about what advantages live streaming kind of offers the industry and the fans alike and, and what are the shortcomings to it. I mean, Jaguar and Inda, as kind of our futurologists here, I'm I'm interested to how you think it's going to change things and what the future holds for, for stuff like Twitch streams and Insta and Facebook Live. Yeah, I mean, I've done a few live streams throughout lockdown now. And yeah, although it's, it's not been the same as being in a club, like I guess the first thing is you don't have that crowd energy and the way you're playing is just different to, you know, there's no one to, no one's controlling what you're playing with that energy. You're sort of, it's all you who's picking it. Um, but Things I've enjoyed, like I did uh, a stream of history there in Beatport for Pride over the weekend and 
just having like a vibrant chat box that's like the closest thing you can get to a live audience that's the thing I mean that actually in, when you're in a club and it's very loud and there's thousands of people in front of you you can't actually talk to any of them and you don't know what they I mean you can see that they're still dancing but you can't actually get any you know feedback in words and I suppose you can with this it is quite it's like it feeds the, the ego yeah. a little bit doesn't it it's quite exciting yeah I mean I'm not gonna lie I was watching the comments I was like oh they like they like this tune or they're asking for track IDs and that is quite nice to be fair um, and I think a real advantage to it is sort of kind of touched on earlier with the defective festivals that like you can reach these new audiences and you can build a community who want to watch you DJ and I feel like as well it's been a really good time to sort of really connect with your followers um, on like Instagram and I have a WhatsApp group that I'm part of with loads of new producers and DJs and I feel like we've been talking every single day and I feel like we've been although we can't physically dance in the same club and like actually say hey to each other we can do so um through social media and that has been kind of beneficial because you can get to know what your audience wants from you and I don't know it's it's been different but there's been there's been uh, a lot of advantages and, and also I guess with streaming like it always has those viral moments like a lot of DJs have got loads of followers and exposure from doing streams and I guess it's a different way of exposing yourself. Yeah, but it very easily, uh, we've learned on these live streams, how many of these artists quote unquote have followers or built mm -hmm. them kind of by uh, nefarious ways of building an audience because sure. they're not all activatable. And I love what you just said, Jaguar. Honestly, I think those little groups of super passionate people, that's what's going to move this industry. Because yeah. you're never going to take that that ambition from those kids. Uh, they they are they're in this, and this is a setback. This is not an end of anything. It's just a moment, and that's what I, that's what keeps me going with Bport. Is you know I coach our teams all the time. Like there is some kid out there right now trying to get ready for their first gig ever. Focus. Yeah. That's who we do this for. It's got to be a great time for like creating those super fans for artists as well, hasn't it? I mean, we, we've we've kind of we've been inside DJs' living rooms in their back gardens. We've they've had the time to actually connect with fans. I even saw like Don Diablo DJing from his downstairs toilet. I mean, there's got to, there's got to be an element of, of making those stronger bonds with fans. I know James. I've seen people like Sam Devine and 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 Simon Dunmore online and connecting a lot more than ever before. The weird like paradox of all of this is. Like Zoom and video calls and team, it creates an intimacy too. Like I think it goes back to any given day, like we're in bedrooms or living rooms or children are walking in or a dog's barking in the kitchen in a morning meeting. It actually breaks down a lot of normal kind of barriers and like institutionalized sort of feelings of what work is. And I actually think that works really well as well for stuff like artists. I think there's going to be an expectation where we did a little secret like Zoom party for all the ticket uh, buyers who were going to come to Croatia, for example. We didn't really publicize, we just did it for them. And then we did the equivalent of like going backstage and meeting the DJs and doing an environment like this on a call that we're all on and chatting with someone like Sam Devine or Melvo had just come off of doing his set to everyone and then he's talking. And you can do that stuff, I think, with and, and the idea of proximity, as I say, it sounds odd because it's so virtual. Weirdly, I think it's going to be more in demand than ever that we can do this, that people have been more used to this. And I think that's wicked for DJs and artists with character who have personality. I think that's a brilliant thing. 
Just to jump in on this one, one of the projects that we've been working on, um, I guess, since the start is uh, Shangri-La's Lost Horizon, which is, I guess, the team behind Glastonbury Shangri-La. Uh, we partnered with a company called Sansar, which is kind of like a game gaming environment in a sense. It's like an open world where you can kind of do whatever you want in a way, build whatever you want. And it's mainly in uh, virtual reality, but you can walk around as well. And so what we've done, I'm sure most people have seen it, it's kind of picked up so much press off the back of this. Um, we've got a number of different stages, over a hundred DJs are performing and when it goes live, you can basically create your avatar in this kind of game environment and walk around it like a, like a normal game. And so I'm really excited about what these opportunities are going to propose because these, there's a number of companies that have been trying to do this for years and their opportunity has never come because there was just, it just wasn't the right time. And all of a sudden, uh, COVID has happened and the these platforms are now growing almost dramatically in a sense. They're, they're getting the opportunities to do interesting new things with technology and to almost transform what the stream is going to look like. And I think streaming is here to stay. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're not, um, electronic music doesn't necessarily have some of the artists like um, there's a band called BTS, which is a South Korean band. Again, I'm sure most people saw, you know, they did a, a virtual performance and made $18 million in 24 hours. Okay, I've also seen other people who are from peers of mine who maybe have 20,000 fans and made 60 grand in 24 hours, which is a huge amount of money considering when they, when they finally realized how they could mobilize their audience and that they were willing to support them if the content was right. There is, there's so much exciting opportunities that are going to open up here. And I do think the virtual stream thing, as the music industry starts getting closer and closer to gaming, what we're missing in the music industry is the knowledge gap between a great stream is one thing, like get, setting up some cameras and putting on a live stream is, I guess, relatively accessible. But getting the knowledge to then actually understand how do you enter a gaming world and how do you maybe educate the next generation of um, people in the music industry to start caring about gaming and understand uh, the Unreal Engine or whatever it is. Like these, this is where the industry needs to focus on. And I do think the next, the last few months have hopefully inspired companies to start, first of all, hiring in these spaces and understanding that there is a huge opportunity here when it comes to new technology and what that's going to present for the future of the industry. Kelly, I know some of your, um, a lot of your kind of forward-thinking artists have, have started to get involved with um, some of these kind of the, the, the gaming hybrid things and these virtual events and stuff. So that I suppose the big question, though, at the end of the day for all of this is, is there a long-term future in charging tickets for these virtual events? I mean, are we going to see revenue coming in? People are going to pay 20, 30, 50 euros maybe to, to go to a virtual event. Is that a thing? Is that going to happen? I think so, yes. I mean, I think Inder already touched on some of this, but um, I mean, these events are already happening. Um, some artists are already being successful selling tickets for streaming events. I think you need to make sure that you are offering something of value though. And, it, and I think the very artist-specific um, type events where it's an artist performing all their own material and I think there needs to be full production it can't be them in their bedroom I don't I don't think fans are gonna as, as lovely as that is and I think initially it was charming I think I think people do want more now from from streaming I think um, artists do need to put more effort into it I think you know we're seeing a lot more of the circle type drone things happening and um yeah, I think I think if an artist is going to charge um, fans 
for a stream, I think they need to be providing some sort of, of real value. Um, and we are talking to a few companies, um, like regular ticketing companies who've been operating in the regular ticketing world, who are now obviously exploiting the whole streaming aspect of things. Um, and yeah, you can, you can build a whole experience. So you can sell a ticket for the show, you can sell merch, you can um, have add-ons of like meet and greets, backstage access. There's so much that you can do. Um, and it does mean you can open it up to a global audience. I think there's so much scope for this. I don't think you'll be able to charge the same as for a regular show. I think you, I think ticket prices will be less for a streaming event, but I think the potential for how many more tickets you could sell is probably greater. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of successful events already happening, and I like the idea that they're restricting restricting ticket numbers as well. So. It's not a show where you will just send endless amounts of tickets. You're still making it feel a little bit special. You're still saying, oh, there's 2,000 tickets. And, you know, we won't show this show again. This is the only way you can see it. It's not going to go immediately up on Facebook or wherever, you know. So it's very much being treated like a regular show. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely a future for it. And I, and I also think that streaming-type tickets will be sold alongside regular tickets in the future, um, you know, I think there'll be the regular be there in person ticket, but I think, you know, if you can't get to the show, you'll also be able to buy a ticket for the virtual version. Yeah. Um, there is one example I saw just to quickly mention it. I'll run through it quickly, really quickly. Um, Junction 2 Festival, uh, they obviously launched their Junction 2 virtual uh, thing and it looks super cool. They slightly delayed it and it's, it's I think it's on the uh, July 11th, but they did a partnership with a gaming company called Gameloft and Gameloft have a title called Asphalt, which is essentially one of the, uh, it's the most downloaded racing game on the Android and App Store. It's a very cool game. And it's such an interesting example of how these two worlds are coming together in a way uh, and what the future opportunity holds. So in the Asphalt game, there's a Junction 2 track that you can play. And I think within the first few days of it launching, it had over 500,000 impressions and people were filming themselves playing this game. And Junction 2 music was being streamed in the game whilst people are playing. And the idea was during the festival, you can also then play the Junction 2 track and the the audio from the festival would be streamed into the game. Now, these are, these are in my opinion, mind-blowing examples and still, still just really just touching the surface of what is possible when we start thinking about virtual events and where the new monetization opportunities come in. I work with brand partnerships. Most brands are not that interested in um, sponsoring streams on the grand scale. Like actually getting serious money, I think, takes, there's a bit of a, a timeline to, I guess, get those deals in. But when festivals start looking at these overlaps of taking a new platform like Asphalt and Junction 2 of what they've done there, the monetization opportunities become so broad in a sense, you know, because there's a, there's a whole new audience, there's multiple platforms to tap into. And I, I'm, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how people are adapting to what the future of a stream looks like. And is Twitch the actual channel where the, most of the streams are going to come through? Maybe, maybe not. It could actually be through, you know, 50% of your streams are coming from a, a racing game. I mean, it's so bizarre, but really interesting. Incredible. Um, I just really want to quickly talk about um, new talent because I guess we all know uh, forging a career in the industry has always taken an awful lot of hard work and persistence. Um, but now there is there's less work around. It is 
perceptibly harder for, for younger people. So what can aspiring artists and industry professionals, so that could be someone who works wants to kind of get their foot in the door of artist management or anything like that. How can you build your career right now while this continues? Because obviously there's going to be a lot of people, there's going to be people on furlough, there's a lot less opportunities. I mean, Jaguar, maybe your best place to just talk about it, obviously mm. through the introducing side of things from artists, but... Um, is there still some good avenues and should be people looking at kind of a different direction of how to get in the industry at the minute? Yeah, it's obviously not the most ideal time. And, um, you know, it's talking to someone today about this. They're about to do an internship, but it's going to have to be like an online internship rather than them going into the office, um, which is unfortunate. But those sort of things still do exist. But also, I think because you can't really do much physically at the moment, it's also there is time and opportunity to start things yourselves. And I feel like um, a lot of people my age are very good at just like doing a bit of everything. Like, you know, if you want to do radio, you can literally just start a radio show on Mixcloud or just do it yourself. Or if you want to get into writing, start your blog, do those YouTube videos. If you want to do like broadcast TV stuff and same for music as well. A lot of, a lot of people, um, especially like in my WhatsApp group, which is full of new producers are just, just using this time to focus and get to know who they are as an artist, know their craft so well, um, because who knows when we'll have this time again. So I think one real advantage is, if you see it this way anyway, is like now you can really use this time to become the best you can be at something or, you know, perfect your experiences in whatever it is you want to do. And I think hopefully when we come out of this, we will have a lot more skills and have really refined our skills like I know for me I've been focusing on this new radio show for this whole time and it's been great to actually really have time to make every show the best it can be and perfect the presenting perfect the mixes and yeah it's been that's been a real highlight for sure. I say from Jaguar it's such good advice because some of the talent we're currently working with is a guy called Dave from a duo Dave and Sam who's wicked it's on classic but He's so multi-skilled, like he's a creative guy. And even in this time, I think he's furthered it even more. So he's making stuff on Premiere and Photoshop mm-hmm. and editing it and cutting it and filming it. And he's a wicked lyricist. He's a poet. He's got spoken words. He sings like, now, I'm not saying everyone has that in the locker, but my gosh, if you can spend that time as a young person learning the art of editing or getting to be smart with your film grammar or whatever those bits are that you are good at, it leaves you in such an advantageous position when, as you say, times are hard. If you've got someone like that who's self-contained promotional brilliance mm-hmm. on top of the music, then it's a no-brainer. Yeah, and also, I guess, if you spend this time working on all those skills, by the time you are able to get into the real world again, like you're going to be sort of up here with, in terms of your experience and job. Like, how people are going to really want to have you working for them. So... Yeah, that's my advice there. I think one thing really interesting, I find it, I find it so crazy. Um, since COVID kicked off, I feel like I've probably made more connections and close contacts in this period than I had mm. if things weren't like this. It's, it's so crazy. Like um, sometimes it could take me weeks, just like any, you know, any kind of traditional sales role would. It can take you a long time to get the right kind of conversations going with people high up the chain and seemingly everyone is available right now um, there, there's no kind of a block to getting in touch with people so I would always think you know, now is yeah. a great time to build your networks like anytime but if I was to give a young person advice now over anything it would be you need to position yourself as some sort of thought leader like really look at the industry and think where where do you want to really 
be known for? Like if, if it's the gaming side in music or is, is there a certain topic that you can own and use the, use the internet now to, to talk about things, to really kind of position yourself in, in that space of excellence through great content, whether that's it's podcasts or blogs or anything else. I mean, I'm getting, so, even just on my LinkedIn, I'm getting so much more traffic over the last few months than I have ever before. And I, I'm not doing things too differently. I think people are just more online. And as a result, you're, you'll get noticed more. So I, I do think that, you know, you, you can't just wait for things to pass and and get back to normal like you 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 almost do have to redefine the world now and be in a position to start thinking like that just looking at some of the like bigger picture things i've heard a few people talking about like this current crisis it maybe provides an opportunity to address some of the like systemic industry issues so you say so we're talking about things like excessive artist fees and environmental problems from things like air travel and you know uh, the the way that festivals have plastics and all this kind of thing i mean do we think that the there's some things that we can do positive now to to prevent those old issues from continuing when this is all over i mean maybe james and kelly would be best to, to talk about that I definitely think a heightened awareness full stop's got to be good. I mean, yeah, if you took a real practicalities, like you mentioned, air travel, you know, we, I, I'm, I'm sure most of us on this call, but I've certainly been guilty. I've hopped on a plane to the other side of the world, basically for a meeting, a single meeting. And I think rightly those things are queried and questioned. And much like the way I think workplace will evolve so that this style virtual conversation, virtual meetings is so much more readily accepted and not seen as a novelty, Likewise, you probably don't need to fly to Miami for that one-hour meeting and fly back again because it's a complete waste of money, let alone just contributing to a, an emergency on the planet. And I, I do believe a lot of that will change. I don't know if it's going to change quick enough. I hope so. But from kind of a generally more environmentally aware moment from festivals, as you say, and plastic. And we did a survey recently, you know, with our kind of audience, and it's a big deal. They want to go to a a festival and an environment that is looking after its space and its place in the world. And they care about if you care about it. And that's fantastic. That's really good news. It's not easy, but it's a good consideration to be having. Yeah, I agree. I just, I think definitely with regards to the environment and, and hopefully we should all realize now how much more we can do online, how much we don't need to travel so much. And I, I would hope as well that DJs, maybe maybe look at this time and, and realise perhaps they don't need to, to gig quite so much. I mean, you know, we all understand the, the pressures of a, of a successful DJ who, you know, touring the globe, making sure they're playing all the right events, all the right parties. But I think most, um, most of our artists have also realised how wonderful it is to have the time to, to create because being a touring DJ just is not good for sort of productivity and creativity at all. Um, you know, it's very hard for a lot of artists to find the time to make music. And I think that is something very positive that's come out of this. And I, and I would hope that some artists see it. This will help balance um, things going forward. I feel like it's a reset in, in many ways, um, you know, not just for creativity, but for people's health. Um, all the travel is not good for, for anyone. Um, I just I just really hope that, yeah, we, we basically look at this time, reflect on it, and perhaps just see how we can change things for the better and learn some lessons in terms of the environment, our health, creativity, just having that sort of balance, really. Okay, well, um, 
a huge thanks for your time, guys. Um, before I let you go, I'd just be interested to hear any sort of <laughs> pearls of wisdom, advice, encouragement. There's going to be a lot of people we really do need to remember in quite a desperate place at the minute from all areas of the industries, you know, from like small businesses uh, who, who are kind of at risk of going under to those who might have lost their job in the in the big companies as well. So is there, is, is there some positives we can leave? Is there some, what, what can individual people do to keep going, especially maybe looking after the mental health and just looking towards the future, I suppose? My advice would be, and something I've learned is like, because we are genuinely slowing down so much, just try and make the most of this time. And, you know, if you, if you obviously want to be productive, but if you want to take some time off, like I've got a lot of friends who are trying to make music right now and it's not very inspiring when you're just at home all day, every day, like every day is the same. And like, if you need a break and just do something else for a few days or a week, that's fine. And, I think my boss from introducing, he'd sort of described this whole thing as you're working like at home during a crisis. You're not like a global pandemic. You're not just working at home. Like, you need to remember what is going on. So if you're not feeling it, especially of how so many things going on, like with Black Lives Matter movements, and it's been a deeply stressful time on top of a pandemic for so many people. And it's okay just to step back. And I'd also say, um, we talked about people being on online a lot and being out there to just be, you know, if you have a message of positivity and hope, I would recommend using your platform for good during this time because it can go a really long way. Well, thanks again, uh, everyone. Thanks to Indafold, Jaguar Bingham, Jonas Temple, Kelly Money and James Kirkham. We'll make sure there's links to everyone's profiles and any of the projects that we've talked about in the descriptions of the podcast. Huge thanks again, guys. Um, take care, good luck, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you soon. Thank you. Thank you. This is the AFEM Industry Insider. The podcast from the Association for Electronic Music. Thanks again to all those brilliant people for giving up a bit of time to talk to us this month. I hope you uh, hope you enjoyed that. If you've got any ideas of topics or areas of conversation that you'd like us to put together a panel for for next month or any like um, episodes in the future, just give us a shout through the socials. AFEMorg is the Twitter and AFEMorg.net is the Facebook page. Now, before we go, each episode, we want to hand over just a few minutes to one of our member companies or people just to round off the show and give a little plug to their, their company or their project and tell us a little bit about what they're doing and in a time when it's all gone mad and social distancing's moved like everything that we do to virtual and online we thought Nico Perez CEO and co-founder of Mixcloud would be the perfect start so take it away Nico. Uh, thank you Andy and uh, hello AFEM members out there and everybody else listening. Um, so yeah you asked me to share a little bit about what we've been up to at Mixcloud uh, and I guess kind of we go back to the start of this year we uh we announced our, our rebrand. We rebranded the site celebrating 10 years of the platform um, and of being a home for DJs, audio creators, artists, podcasters of all sorts. Uh, and that was the first kind of big, exciting thing that happened uh, at the start of the year. And then in towards the end of April, um, you know, with the coronavirus growing throughout the world, we decided to work on a live streaming new live streaming element to the platform. So Mixcloud Live launched at the end of April um, and it has absolutely exploded in, in terms of popularity. It's been really incredible to see kind of the, the uptake from across, across the community. Um, and if you're not familiar with it yet, um, essentially it's a, it's a music first platform built specifically 
with DJs, artists, and the music community in mind. So what does that mean? Well, we support the highest quality audio of any streaming platform, 320 kilobytes per second. So it sounds really, really nice if you've got good speakers at home. Uh, we are a licensed platform, which means that everything that gets streamed goes through our content ID system. We figure out what tracks are in there. We use that as a basis to report and pay royalties to artists, labels, PROs, publishers, all the different rights holders around the world. Um, and that's taken us a long time to build that and get that in place uh, for the platform. So we're pretty, pretty proud of that. I'm pretty proud of the fact that you know, the right people, the artists getting played actually get paid. And we feel that's really important for the ecosystem. Uh, you can stream video or uh, audio. You can do either. Um, there is a chat uh, message window um, that you can pop in and add your favorite emojis to. Um, it's easy to share across the interwebs. Um, and listeners can tune in and, and listen for free. Uh, to go streaming live, you'll need a pro account on Mixcloud, which is uh, nine pounds a month. It comes with a, a one-month free trial. But for AFEM members, if you're interested in extended three-month trial, happy to uh, sort you out with that. Just drop me an email. It's Nico, so that's N-I-C-O, at Mixcloud.com. Um, what else is there to say? Uh, a few people who've kind of been doing pretty well since we launched. Uh, John Digweed has been absolutely smashing it out of the park. He does a Saturday night broadcast called the Bunker Series. Um, you know, seeing tens of thousands of people join that at any one time and really, really kind of growing every single week. And I think he's, he's now at this point going to abandon Facebook and just exclusively stream on Mixcloud. Uh, Jazzy Jeff, another uh, great DJ who's kind of moved across recently. Questlove did a live stream not that long ago. Uh, Gokwan here in the UK, some people may f be familiar with, also a DJ. Had, had, I think, the fastest chat going through, scrolling through his, uh, the screen I've ever seen. And the last thing maybe kind of to mention just a little bit, um, looking towards the future, we're very aware that for a lot of the electronic music community, a huge portion of, of their income comes through traditional live gigs. Uh, and so one thing that I want to put on everybody's radar is our, is our monetization program called Mixcloud Select. It's a channel-based monetization program where you can choose the price that you want for your channel. You can choose what shows you want to make exclusive or not exclusive. Your subscribers can download those to their phone. You know, it's all built around that fan to create a relationship, and we're going to be adding more to that in the future. Final thing to mention on, on the topic of monetization is we're looking at uh, building out ticketed live streaming events, which will enable creators and DJs to offer ticketed live streams and set their own price, time, location. And that will hopefully you know, be another small part of bringing a little bit of that lost revenue back to the creative community. So look out for new, more news on that coming soon. Um, again, if you have any questions, feel free to drop me an email, nico at mixcloud.com. I'd be excited to, to talk to you about what we're doing. Uh, and yeah, check it out. It's mixcloud.com forward slash live if you want to have a look. Um, and mixcloud.com forward slash pro to see everything that's available with our pro membership package. So yeah, thanks for listening.
Thank you very much, Nico Perez, and a massive thanks to you for listening. Really, really hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found it interesting. Let us know what we can do better or, or what else you'd like to hear. But really, just interested to hear any thoughts, really. You can find me on uh, Twitter, it's probably the easiest, Andy Durant, A-N-D-I-D-U-R-R-A-N-T, if you'd like to say hello uh, and pass on any ideas or thoughts or anything. Even if you think it's rubbish, that's fine. <laughs> do give us a shout. Um, and if you'd like to uh, find out more about the AFEM, go to associationforelectronicmusic.org. Um, AFEM. AFEMorg on Twitter or AFEMorg.net on Facebook. A huge thanks again for listening. Take care, look after each other, be careful, and we'll catch you next time. The AFEM Industry Insider is brought to you by This Is Distorted, the world's biggest producer and syndicator of electronic music programs and podcasts. For more information, go to thisisdistorted.com or at thisisdistorted on socials. On air, on demand, on brand. This is Distorted.